So, hey, we get an extra day to talk about football. Why not seize that to dance upon the figurative graves of Miles Garrett and the Browns? Good morning to you. Good Sunday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into hockey and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Penguins and Pirates in their normal day slots. This one, of course, is an extra Steelers episode as I'm not going to stop doing these every single day until your football team is eliminated from the NFL playoffs, you know, like the Browns were yesterday. 45 to 14 falling to the Texans. Actually, that's not even falling. That's falling on your face. That's getting embarrassed. And when it comes to the one discussion point that's risen above all others as it relates to Steelers versus Browns, my goodness, Miles Garrett didn't exactly help his own cause, did he? No playoff games don't count towards individual honors. So no, the voters for Defensive Player of the Year or any other after the season honors won't be able to consider that Garrett contributed all of Three tackles, two solos, and not a damned thing else, unless you want to count his two offside penalties. That's it. That's it. Houston ran up 356 total yards, 31 points on offense alone, and the four sacks of C.J. Stroud that the Cleveland defense did get didn't come from Garrett at all. So yeah, go ahead and celebrate, both accordingly and responsibly. But also, consider and know that the people who've concocted the pass rush win rate statistic will still somehow find a way to give Garrett a glowing grade out of all this. And that's the genesis of this perception problem that exists to the significant detriment of the actual best defensive player on the planet, that, of course, being T.J. Watt. Now, we can go through all the standard statistics, but you know them all, and you know the headliner of them, which is that T.J.'s got 19 sacks, one and a half more than anyone else, five more than either Garrett or Micah Parsons, the only other reasonable candidate for the honor. Not to mention all the tackles for losses, all the pass breakups, the interceptions, the touchdown. It's a long, long list of very real statistics based on very real accomplishments. No, I am not at all in any way, shape, or form one of those people who hates advanced metrics or turns my nose up at any figure that I haven't heard of before. And I'd like to think that I've lived a lifetime as a reporter proving that, particularly when it comes to baseball, where almost all of these approaches have been pioneered. But I'm going to share with you something this morning that maybe you wouldn't hear from somebody else because it does require a little bit of cross-sporting to understand it. Football was late to the metrics game. Nobody would dispute that. Baseball was way early. Basketball kind of creeped in there a little bit. Football came along, and you know what? Eventually, hockey will get there, too. It's not there. So what happened in baseball is now happening in football as well, which is that people who are coming up with 
metrics. To my mind, or to be commended, you're looking for additional information, additional points of measuring value of a player or a performance. I think that's good. I think that's a positive for the game. But here's what also happens. The people who come up with the figures are so married to those figures since they gave birth to them that they then adopt the stance that no other figures matter other than the ones that they created. So when you have a, an organization like a pro football focus, and by the way, they're not the only ones that use pass rush win rate. ESPN has their own pass rush win rate. That's all they're going to want to point to. And you know what? I could find some merit to that if we're talking about offensive linemen, because the reverse is true. There's a pass rush win rate. There's also a pass block win rate. Since the offensive lineman has no other objective on the play besides keeping that defender away from his quarterback. Pass rush win rate is measured, and this is pretty simple, by whether or not a defender can beat the guy in front of him within 2.5 seconds or... From the other standpoint, if the blocker can hold off the pass rusher for 2.5 seconds. Really relevant from the standpoint of the offensive lineman. Not at all relevant from the defensive perspective. You know why? The defensive guy has one bleeping job out there, and that is to get to the quarterback. That might just mean rushing the quarterback or forcing the quarterback out of his pocket. But they've already got a stat for that, and that's quarterback hits or quarterback hurries, depending on which interpretation you prefer. They also have this other nutty statistic that's been in place in the National Football League since 1982 called sacks. Those are really, really good plays for your defense. They do much damage to the other guys, sometimes physically. The way I see the role of an edge rusher, or anyone who's a consistent pass rusher, the way Parsons is, for example, is similar to that of a closer in baseball. No one cares how many guys a closer walks. No one cares how many hits a closer gives up. Heck, nobody even cares how many runs a closer gives up. The closer has literally one job when he takes the mound, and that is to walk off that mound with a W. If he gives up five runs and still gets the save, he did the job. It might be the most one-stat position in all of sports. Well, Edge Rusher is somewhere up there, my friends. He's got to get to the quarterback. It doesn't matter what he does to the blocker in front of him. It doesn't matter, for example, if he comes, let's say, on a delayed blitz. What does that do for his 2.5 second count? Does that matter at all? No. All that matters is that he got to the quarterback. Trent Jordan Watt gets to the quarterback more than anyone. Case closed. When we come back, J1Q. Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. LGKG is a personal injury law firm in Western Pennsylvania that represents people hurt in car accidents or who need help with workers' comp or medical malpractice. When the attorneys at LGKG make you a promise, they keep it. They've been keeping promises in our region for over 80 years. LGKG's been AV rated, the highest rating a law firm can receive. 
and they've been designated super lawyers. That's actually a thing for over 15 years. It's a rare combination. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. Learn more about them by visiting lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. LGKG. J1Q comes from Brent, who says, Hey, DK, how about that snow up there in western New York? Are you still driving there like it's no big deal? Who does this help, by the way? <laughs> Wise guy. The Bills, the Steelers, neither. Well, the correct answer to that, Brent, is obviously neither. I think when you're talking about teams that get to the playoffs, you're usually talking about teams that don't stink. You're talking about teams that have skill, teams that would benefit from optimal conditions. I would not say that, of course, about these Steelers as a 17-game hole, but I sure would as it relates to their last three games. They did a lot of things offensively that are going to be affected by the weather, no matter how it turns out with the new kickoff time of 4.30 p.m. Monday. And I'm not really sure what to make of what feels like it's a general sentiment. Maybe it's just among Steelers fans that the Steelers get some kind of advantage from there being snow or other lousy conditions. Um, I, I, I'm just not buying. And I understand why that is, especially for those who follow Pittsburgh more closely than any other team. If you go back to the Le'Veon Bell game where he had almost 300 yards in total offense all by himself, the Bills had no answer for him. He had wonderful footing. The offensive line was tremendous in front of him, and Ben Roethlisberger knew enough not to stop on a good thing, so he just kept turning around and handing the ball to Lev. It was a great, great game to cover from that standpoint. Really, really entertaining. But as I see this, and I, you know, I, I could be wrong, okay? But as I see it, I look back to the game in Seattle when the Steelers and Seahawks played in near-perfect conditions. There had been some rain in the morning in the Pacific Northwest because there's always rain in the Pacific Northwest. So I don't know that things were, you know, 100%, but they were pretty close to it. And the Steelers were able to take advantage of things such as Deontay Johnson's footwork, George Pickens being able to stay in bounds by just a hair, Jalen Warren and Najee Harris, of course, making sharp cuts. But above all, and what's become the principal strength of this offense, I think, other than the obvious in Mason Rudolph, is that the offensive line has, in this case, both symbolically and literally, found its footing. They're getting the big shove. The pass protection hasn't always been there. I didn't like it, especially in the first half in Baltimore. But once they've gotten going, and once they've committed to running the ball with a rhythm, they're knocking some heads. Look at some of this film after the fact, just from the offensive line standpoint, and you'll see what I mean. Isaac Selmalu in particular is just merciless anymore. He is tearing people up. Well, see, I want that. 
I don't want to feel like, you know, the other guys have to lack their footing in order to bring them down to the Steelers' level. I'm sorry, I'm just not there. The Bills have 11 wins, the Steelers have 10 wins, and the Steelers had what I think most people would agree was a really weird and often really bad season. So, how much better are the Bills, really? Well, Steelers lost to the Patriots. Okay, so did the Bills. The Bills lost to the Jets, and the Bills lost to the Jaguars. The Steelers lost to the Jaguars. That's the National Football League. I think overall you're talking about a couple of pretty evenly balanced teams. Even from the momentum standpoint, I talk a lot, for obvious reasons, about the Steelers entering these playoffs on a high, coming off their three best games of the season, but the Bills have five wins in a row. Steelers, of course, are going to be missing TJ, but the Bills are missing a bunch of guys. So I don't feel like there needs to be any kind of equalizer here, and I would just rather see, from the offensive perspective, the Steelers bring their Seattle best. And from there, I'd welcome seeing Minka Fitzpatrick, DeMonte Casey back on the defense, Patrick Peterson back into a role in which he can do a little bit more damage than while he was, you know, holding down the fort at safety. I'd like to see Landon Roberts uh, benefit from having the extra day here to heal up a little bit. And if you really shove me against the wall here, you'll get me to admit that I'm kind of looking forward to seeing some of Marcus Golden and some of Nick Herbig. I don't believe there's going to be some, you know, cliff-like drop-off from TJ to the guys behind them. And I've got plenty of precedent to support that case. So stop. I was saying yesterday about not worrying about the weather, and I think a lot of people misinterpreted judging from some of the feedback that I got. I wasn't suggesting that the game wasn't going to get moved or whatever else. I was suggesting that I, me, right here, just this guy, I don't care. I don't care about it. I don't care about driving through it. I don't care about the long walk from the parking lot to the press box. And I don't care about it. Most importantly, by far, from the football standpoint, I don't think it's going to be relevant. I really don't. And the nicer it is, the closer you'll get, quite possibly, to the Steelers performing at their, here comes the term again, Seattle best. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. And guess what? We're going to have another one of these tomorrow. Tomorrow.